Hello, clinical research circlers. How are you doing? We're circling back the wagon. We're here talking with Travis Mickle, CEO of ChemFarm, KMPH. Thank you so much, Travis, for coming on. We like to check in every quarter or so, every three months. Um, I got to give the, this is a publicly traded company. I got to give the illegalese. This is, there may be forward-looking statements, blah, blah, blah. You, you want to say it better than me? Like, oh goodness. I, I, I usually <laughs> just say, you know, go to our website, see our uh, disclosures. Um, yeah. And, uh, that should cover it. I hope. Yeah. No, no, this is just informal conversation. You, obviously you don't have to answer things. You're not comfortable answering. Um, but since we last spoke, like, you know, we have a stars now and people want to know if you want to share, like, you know, you've shared in the past, you, you yourself, your children take it, uh, have ADHD. Are they, are you guys taking a stars? Uh, I have uh, started and I know that once kind of the, the, things return a little bit normal. I've heard uh, child psychs uh, will start to, you know, adopt it more. Okay. I think uh, here in, in Florida, we had the whole Delta variant with COVID, which kind of re-shut down offices again a little bit. And so none of them want to change medication unless it's really bad. But, you know, mine was easy. <laughs> I just tell May, uh, I know this thing works better. And so um, luckily though, I'm the, I'm the, the family guinea pig and I can tell everybody, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is great. This is a lot better than anything I've been on in the past, including Vyvanse. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, as like, let's talk about COVID cause that's actually something I didn't think of, but you know how we're doing the focused rollouts, which is a strategy most drug companies use. I mean, you guys partner with Corium on this. Um, so certain markets, right? You're just hitting like certain markets. You're doing like test case until we can get more markets on board. Has COVID like slowed down the rollout because of what you just said? Like, you know, televisits. I know because I work with doctors too, and they're trying to do a lot of their visits remotely now as well. So how has that been a challenge if if it has been? Uh, well, we, we've heard from Corium that they've had their challenges. I mean, uh, a lot of the focus has been in states like Texas and Florida which were the epicenters for, for the Delta variant and, and a lot of the issues that happened uh, uh, alongside that. But what's nice is, you know, as you're doing this rollout, you're also learning how to best, you know, get into, uh, you know, to meet with physicians, to get their time outside of the office, um, which is kind of a new strategy. And I think very clever, you know, I know other companies have implemented something similar, but you know, I, I believe Corium's doing a good job of uh, really planning for success as opposed to worrying about what's going on this very second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as far as Corium is concerned, like one of the questions I kept getting from the community is, you know, do they have some kind of metrics that you guys follow when it comes to like, do you have milestone expectations and how they perform versus what your expectations are? Uh, in the early days, no. I mean, that's, that's you know, first six months, every payer is going to block this. Um, you're going to have some high deductible plans that will cover it, but that'll change at the beginning of the year, right, when folks have a deductible again. Um, so so this first few months will we'll always be very low script volume. I think we've seen 60 or 70 a week, but, you know, it's trending up. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what we want to see is adoption 
continued use. Uh, you know, doctors continue to, to, to write scripts and good clinical feedback. You know, we want to hear doctors say, hey, this is working for my patients. I want to give it to more patients. Um, it's not, you know, when they tell us it's not in the pharmacy or I'm having formulary issues, that's a good sign. That means, you know, we can fix those things, but the doctor really wants to have it in there and use it for his patient. So that's everything that I have heard that I, mm -hmm. you know, I can pass along because it's, you know, I think it's, it's fairly standard, but at the same time, it's very encouraging. Yeah, this is actually a topic that comes up. I wish we would have had Dr. Al Chazirely, our oncologist on here, because when we cover biotechs, we're always talking about, okay, when the drug's approved, doctors want to prescribe it, insurance companies going to block it until they figure out what this is, but the doctors can, they get a form. Uh, I think it's like authorization form or something. The staff has to fill it out. Most offices have full-time people doing this, you know, as long yeah. as they're providing rationale, why they're using this over the others. So have you seen that? Like, are those, are you hearing feedback from doctors about this kind of stuff? Uh, actually it's, that's not terribly problematic. It's usually when a, a patient encounters difficulty, like my plan doesn't cover any of it. I have to pay a hundred bucks. You know, those, so, those sort of issues, um, you know, prior authorizations, as you, as you mentioned, are ADHD is a lifelong um, diagnosis. So every insurer knows, well, if I can stop one or two of these, that's going to save me some money. And so they, they, they put in as many blocks for every medication. Um, and, you know, Corium knew that going in. Everybody who launches in the last 20 years has known that, you know, it's going to get some resistance. But you know, docs are used to this uh, for every new patient. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about the launch so far? And then Monica, we'll get to you, you right now and then Chris, but so far the launch compared to your expectations, how do you feel about it? Uh, I, I think it's going as planned. I mean, we're just, I'm just passing along what, uh, what Corium's telling us. Um, they've, uh, I've seen some good feedback, uh, WebMD, has provided some uh, user reviews, you know, folks that have had scripts provided reviews on, on their utilization. And it's very positive. Um, I think surprisingly, some of the feedback is around weight loss and um, appetite, which we knew in our clinical studies, we were seeing uh, kind of an improvement there, but hearing it from patients where, you know, I wasn't eating before or Johnny wasn't eating before, and now they don't have a problem you know, that's a big deal because that's the number one issue with all of these stimulant medications. And that's, uh, that could be a real driver here in the future. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, now that you're mentioning the patients, uh, uh, is there any feedback that, that you can share from patients and prescribers post-launch this medication? Uh, yeah, I, you know, besides what I just said, I think, um, what, what some of the feedback has been that it, it does work throughout the day. It works well. Uh, uh, parents, um, it's a caregiver setting in, in one instance, but there's feedback that it, look, it, it worked early, you know, and that's, that's positive because that's what we saw in our clinical studies. So there's no pushback from the clinical perspective, right? The data uh, that physicians read and see is actually uh, being uh, demonstrated in their patients. So they're, they're being very positive. I think the only negativity is what we always expected and what we see with payers, reimbursement, and the difficulty in prescribing. 
And and uh, and then is there um, enough supply uh, for this kind of <laughs> medication? Because we know that there are a lot a lot of uh, patients with this condition. Um, is there enough enough supply for that? Uh, as as far as I know, I haven't heard of any supply issues. I I couldn't tell you otherwise if it was confidential, but. Um, you know, there has not been any reports of supply outages or lack of ability. I think um, with a with any sort of regional uh, launch where you focused in a few areas, you're going to have to wait a day or so sometimes to get your script into that pharmacy. But I haven't heard of any issues, uh, you know, th that that has caused. Um, and once it's there, then it's it'll be there for for the next patient and so forth. Chris, anything? Um, sure. You've been patiently waiting. Sure. So I'm going <laughs> off topic of these questions just because I'm curious. So, and I can't remember the proper terminology necessarily, but um, many people are complaining that uh, KMPH dilutes their shares um, to raise capital. I don't know if that's termed correctly, but do you have, well, one, how is that done and why does it reduce the price of the shares? Well, the, the term dilution is, you know, you go out and raise more money by selling a percentage of the company, right? Sure. You say, I'm going to sell X number of shares, which represents 5% of the company, 10% of the company, because I need more capital. Right. Um, we, and we tried to cover this as in detail as we could. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> we know what we know, but we don't convey exactly what we want to. Um, on our last call is there has been no additional dilution since the um, announcement of a warrant exchange. So there were some warrants that were from uh, a series of transactions that relisted us on the NASDAQ, got rid of our debt, and then brought in some additional capital so that we could, uh, you know, do the things we want to do in the future. And since we, we took those original warrants and, and did an inducement where they would trade off a large number for a much smaller number, that's been the last set of dilution. And um, we put in place tools that we may need to do M&A, either one way or the other, um, to uh, you know, potentially you know, do a fundraise. But these are not in our plans, and they're not uh, something that we um, have any use for at the moment, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. so, so just to follow up, so essentially, um, you're selling off more of the company um, when you release more shares, of course, um, is there splits or anything like that? And those really don't dilute the share price, right. right? No, that's just math. And, and again, we haven't done any, anything dilutive, uh, in the near term and don't have any plans to. So yeah, this share split is just, um, you know, you had, you had one share, now you have six shares or you have six right. shares, one share. But the math is still the same. You still right. have the exact the... amount of money you had before in value. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank in, you. In that same vein, I mean, I think it's something like 130 million in cash you guys have. And are there any plans for that? I mean, I usually don't see share buyback at a company of this market cap, but that's actually one of the questions I got. Is that in the works or maybe acquisitions or what are you guys thinking of uh, doing with that? Um, and hopefully it increases with the sales you know, as the sales yeah. ramp up for uh, Staris. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's always something that we have in the playbook, right? You can do a share buyback. 
I mean, right now I looked what uh, we're just under nine bucks. Yep. We brought this money in at $6 and 50 cents. So it would make no sense to, you know, uh, use money that that's more valuable cash as we have in the bank uh, to send back at this point. Now, absolutely. Does that, is that a tool that we can use as, as the cash reserves increase with, uh, you know, royalties and milestones with the agreement? I mean, that, that's, that's our goal. And we talk about it with our board and, you know, CFO and I speak about it on a regular basis because, it's a great mechanism, um, especially if there is already demand. You're just you're just going to ex- exponentially help out on the other side of that. But you know, where we want to apply that capital is to deploy it. Number one, in a capital efficient way. That's that's been our model since I started the company. We're not going to waste money. We're going to spend it on exactly what we need to do not overblown super scientific studies that, you know, would win you the Nobel prize, but don't uh, lead to a a good product. Um, You know, we're, we're going to focus on adding value to our pipeline of products. So SDX uh, and all the uses that possibly could be there. And then as well, you know, things we have in the back, which we're evaluating and things we don't have yet, things that we're also looking externally and saying, Hey, there's some great opportunities out there in the CNS space, let's go see if we can create some big value with those, um, give people milestones on a more regular basis and, and really, you know, take this to the next stage. Yeah, we're, we'll get to the, cause I do want to get to the SDX and beyond. There's a lot of questions, a lot of excitement from the community. We were talking beforehand, this is a passionate group of investors. We haven't seen anything like this. We've only been doing this for about a year reviewing biotechs, but man, this is like the, there's so many people on Twitter, stock twits, jumping on this stock and long-term shareholders. So this is like Travis comes on here, gets to talk to you, answer some curated questions for me. Uh, we've witnessed recently the percentage of institutional ownership rise steadily. Uh, I think we're at close to 30% if not more institutional investor, how do you view this? Is it positive? And how important is that for continued growth and all the other things that we're going to discuss now, namely SDX? Uh, it, it is important. It's an important component to any healthcare institution, honestly. Every, every company in our stage, any company that wants to, to be the next big, you know, I'd say Pfizer, but Neuroprin and and Biohaven, these nine, $8 billion companies. I mean, those, those are goal, right? We want to be a big boy someday. And so, you know, we need good healthcare institutions behind us that are going to buy and, and keep their stock. They're not going to, uh, they're not going to, you know, not a hedge fund that's going to hedge against it with shorts and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, fun stuff. Um, they're going to be holders. And then they're going to, you know, like our uh, previous holder, Deerfield, be very strategic. They brought us opportunities. They brought us deals. They brought us ideas. And they did market research. And a lot of these groups will do that. And then also, it's, it's kind of a gang, right? Once you get one, you get one or two more. And they just kind of pile in. And it's self-fulfilling for prophecy. They'll support the stock when it's down. They'll, they'll you know, sing the praises when it's up and and that helps everybody in that case yeah so can let's i guess we can talk about sud substance use disorder stimulant disorder um you guys have 
phase one, you're waiting on data from that, or do you have the data for this, or are you waiting on it still? Uh, we, we've been getting little pieces here and there. It's, um, so the study itself is just a phase one PK study where we have some uh, PD readings on, you know, how do you feel, uh, is, how do you feel about, you know, abuse? Is it uh, make you high? Does it not? Um, you know, the standard parameters that uh, you look for abuse liability, but also it tells you a little bit of how the, the, the product is making them um, feel at these doses. Now, these are doses above what we've studied before. Hmm. So 240 milligrams was the top dose in our abuse studies. We started there and we're going up to 600 milligrams. So we have little pieces along the way, but we don't have the full, we don't have the full picture. So this population, these are stimulant uh, addicted uh, subjects. They're, they're, they know what they're doing as far as stimulant addiction. And uh, they're not the most reliable subjects in the planet. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll get two or three that show up and then the next time they don't, and then they never, never call back or follow up. It's, it's actually been a nightmare, but we're getting some good data. Uh, fourth quarters when we plan to announce everything. Um, okay. But, you know, in the interim, we, we, we are building, you know, the case for how this is going to be developed into a product. I've got way more questions on this, but Monica, Chris, anything here? that you guys want to add? No. We, okay, we've got tons. So with the, so f first of all, is this proof of concept study, is it on, I think we discussed last time, is it healthy volunteers or it's actually on the indication for patients? Because it required them to be, uh, you know, fairly uh, sophisticated with stimulant use. Um, we had to go with people that were, were not quite addicts, but well-experienced stimulant abusers. Wow. And so it, it's not the intended population where you're trying to take addicts and wean them off into something else. Um, this is this, but this is the population that at least starts that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's one of the difficulties we have with these studies. So uh, is this all amphetamines, uh, crack cocaine, cocaine, all of it? All of it. Yeah. Any stimulant. Um, the site that we use is in Salt Lake. So there is a lot of amphetamine um, methylphenidates, you know, stuff you can get uh, legally, but used at much higher doses and snorted and injected. Uh, mm -hmm. But other sites would be more uh, cocaine um, or methamphetamine. So all four of those would qualify uh, as, uh, you know, drugs of choice for these stimulant addicts. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and I know oh, I can imagine how challenging it is to recruit patients for that study. <laughs> That'd be a very tough study in the phase two and phase three. We talked yeah. about this in the last interview, like retention. You know, when you do a clinical trial, retention is more important than recruitment. I think for a study like this, relatively easy. easier. Yeah, yeah relatively recruit. easy to recruit, but to retain somebody yeah. who's addicted to, I mean, who, you know, meth, cocaine, crack, you know, <laughs> this is going to be challenging. <laughs> Retention is always challenging. This is going to be challenging. Extra. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't want to say impossible because nothing's impossible, but I'm sure you guys have a plan for this, right? You, you guys realize this is going to be very challenging studies. Yeah. And I, I think that's why we, we talked about it. I talked about it on the last quarterly call with a little more ambiguity because we see other opportunities as maybe first in line because mm -hmm. they're a lot easier. <laughs> which, know, ones, talk, which ones? Which ones? 
that the KP1077 is in our pipeline. It's, it's also the pure pro drug SDX and it's for idiopathic hypersomnia. Now it's a rare disease. So, you know, recruitment, but there's a patient registry, uh, you know, there's enough uh, data to know where to go. And, you know, uh, you're not having issues with retention. Uh, we've seen some jazz work. They just got a product approved um, where, you know, they were able to keep folks in the study and get it done in a fairly concise amount of time. So that's why I wanted to be a little more vague because, you know, we may still pursue that. It may be a route, but hey, let's, if there's other opportunities that are just as big or maybe bigger, let's go after those first and, you know, do the ones, number one, that are going to be cheaper uh, faster and lower risk because there's nothing approved for uh, SUD, stimulant use disorder. So we have no precedent. So just my opinion, with the the SUD studies, I would be recruiting from, I forget the name of the organization, but it's the the sister to Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where I would go and recruit, right? People who are trying to quit. Yeah. So they, they at least are on a positive path. They'd probably be more compliant with taking it and continue taking it, I would think. I think um, I recall one of the protocols I've seen has been like, you you want the, at least initially, like for a phase two design, when you're trying to figure out what doses work best is in in, in, in uh, clinic treatment, right? Where they're, mm-hmm. they're basically going to be housed in there for six weeks. And, and then you're going to monitor them probably for another six to 12 weeks sure. just to get a sense for how it works. But you're right. I mean, you're going to need a big database of people to go to and probably start with three or four times more than you want to end with. Just yeah, at least. <laughs> and and that's a good point. That's a good point that you mentioned that the, um, you know, substance use disorder or stimulant use disorder, that might be the more challenging one. And there's a lot, actually a lot of questions around that, particularly one that this is why I'm bringing it up now because it's most related to this one. Um, you previously said that you would look for a partner uh, as soon as the data would be in. So I'm assuming you're going to li- try to license it unlike a Staris because it's specifically more, way more challenging to do a study like this for a small cap biotech. And like you suggested earlier, there's lower hanging fruit, maybe you know rare disease like you were saying or other things. So is there anything that you would like to say about this, like for the investors who are a little bit concerned about what's going on with the, with this particular uh, indication first? Well, uh, so what's, what's interesting here is the dynamic between our license agreement with Granite Point Capital, uh, which is uh, referred to in the public domain as ComAv. Also, you know, they assign the uh, commercialization rights to Corium. It's all the same thing to me. <laughs> I just say GPC really is, okay. is the, is the is the group here we have a license with um you, they have a right of first uh, negotiation after we complete this first study so we don't have to wait till phase two or phase three we put together a data package of this you know phase one study uh they get 150 days all of this is public it's all out there about the agreement um to evaluate it and decide if they want to do a license and along the way we'll negotiate economics we'll negotiate terms and then Eventually, you know, we'll reach an agreement during that time period, I would assume. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what I was referring to about the license. Um, 
you know, they're obviously going to have some interest. This is CNS related. They got a CNS sales company that they're building. But at the same time, I can't guarantee they're going to do anything. They're just, that's up to them and right. how much they want to pay, whether it's enough for us to, to want to move forward with or not. All of those things are still TBD. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense because it's very early in the process, but you know how investors are. They look for um, like events. So data <laughs> comes in, what happens next? Partner to license. Okay. So I understand at least we're getting some clarity on that. Um, and there's a lot of other things, right? For SDX platform that you were mentioning. So right. uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like how excited are you about this? Oh, I mean, tremendously. It's It's got a completely unique pharmacokinetic profile. You have a, a, the only Schedule 4 methylphenidate. I mean, that's just ridiculous to have that sort of flexibility in dosing and, and prescribing. Um, and just the, the aura around it's a pro-drug, it, it's less abusable. It, it's just, a, it's a great place to start. So I mentioned idiopathic hypersomnia. That's already identified as kind of top of our list for alternatives here. Um, you can think about other forms of excessive daytime sleepiness that occur in like Parkinson's disease, which does, you know, this is a major concern for these patients um, where they, they don't have any treatment reg regimen to help them. And a lot of the sleepiness causes falls and other injuries. Um, you know, the, there's cognition issues in Alzheimer's, you know, methylphenidate has been proven to, sh to, to, to be effective there but nobody's wanted to spend the time and effort to um, develop a product for that. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot of different areas you could expand upon. And, you know, I think I've seen this with other, other companies too, right? They have one drug and they go after multiple indications. They know some of those aren't going to work and some of them might be deprioritized over the others for, for commercial reasons. But, you know, I just see they're just one after the other um, for opportunities here. Um, even, even beyond that, I mean, I could keep going if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will. Don't worry. There's a lot that yeah. Monica, go ahead. So, you, yeah. You mentioned about the Alzheimer's and there's some mentioning uh, about Alzheimer's disease at King Farm. Could you please elaborate a little bit more on that side? Since we know that you have a great scientific resource, uh, Adam Smith, who had worked extensively in uh, Alzheimer's disease. How do you make uh, use of such a resource uh, for your pipeline? Uh, well, I mean, it's great to have the team that we have, right? Uh, I, I've been working with some of these folks for more than 20 years. Um, you know, Adam has uh, been a great addition with his uh, expertise in, in Alzheimer's and co-crystals and uh, uh, some of the technology went behind uh, the work done there at the uh, University of South Florida. We also have Andy Barrett, who came to us from Salix and Cephalon, as well as a Harvard postdoc. And, and clinical pharmacology has been his uh, you know, background, uh, understanding all the CNS diseases and how they interplay and, and where we could go in the future. So we're at a, a great crossroads. We have this great opportunity to take our, our scientific knowledge and now apply it uh, to something that uh, with SDX and the opportunities here just could be tremendous. So, you know, Alzheimer's is obvious because of Adam's background, but the uh, narcolepsy uh, because of Andy's background um, it, working at Cephalon on modafinil products. Mm. I mean, he, he knows this space, he knows all the experts. 
Um, it, it's just been a, a nice transition from ADHD now into these other CNS diseases. Yeah. No. And last time we were on, you even mentioned uh, oncology, um, which we haven't heard before. Can you elaborate more on that? Uh, I, I probably mentioned it just as a host of things to look at. I okay. think I think we know what we're good at. And, you know, it took some time to kind of sit down and do a full assessment. Uh, we'll be we'll be discussing this more as as, you know, the board approves our final kind of strategy. And uh, we're able to push forward with, hey, this is the actionable plan. And I want everybody to, you know, hold me to it. But at, at this point, we know that you know, oncology, what, 90 percent of the drugs fail <laughs> and. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's probably not exactly where our expertise is. So we're going to stick in CNS, neurology, psychiatry, um, just because, again, we have these great resources. Why not take advantage of it? With regards to KP879, is there any status on FDA special designation? Uh, no status to report at this point. Um, they, the FDA wants more data before you know, they make any assessment on fast track breakthrough but uh, they're very encouraged by the IND, really had very few questions, really wanted to make sure that the protocol was safe and that we were monitoring these, these subjects um, that, uh, you know, we're giving very, very high doses of methylphenidate prodrug to, but uh, everything's gone well. And, and so I don't see any issues there. Okay. And then also in the last interview, I just want to expand on that a little more. You were saying you were fielding calls in regards to interested uh, companies looking to, or sniffing around, all right. <laughs> uh, could you elaborate more what kind of interest they were showing? I'm sure you've experienced uh, a plethora of different calls. Uh, can you just share, share some light with us on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nice consequence of, you know, the success we have with the Staris and and even further back in our pipeline of other opportunities. And folks, you know, I've met with over the last five, six, seven, 10 years, you know, now need uh, something for their pipeline. They want to go fill a hole. You know, they, they come to us now because they look, you, you've proven what you can do. And it's a, it's a great label. It could be potentially a great product. Um, so some of those discussions around uh, product specific, like a 1077 or 879, um, some of them are more technology specific where, hey, we have a product we'd like you to look at and see if you could help us with this. And then, of course, you know, that that'd be kind of a, a technology sort of partnership. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's been along those lines. I, I just say it's like it's uh, more than we've ever had in the past. And I was so I was very encouraged about that. And, and we'll continue to field those questions. And hopefully something comes out of that. So I guess. I'm looking at a lot of these uh, community-generated questions, and the theme seems to be, okay, we understand from the last interview, Travis is very excited about the future of the future potential of SDX and CNS as a whole, even stretching to Alzheimer's, and like you said, maybe even oncology, although your core competency is going to be CNS, and that makes a lot of sense, especially with the team that you've put together. I guess... I'm trying to summarize everyone's question into one because there's tons of them. By the way, great job on the social media, guys. <laughs> you guys are doing really good. <laughs> I guess the essence of the question is, 
is everything on the table or are you going to do this like on your own? For example, like an activated technology, would you ever consider like selling that, but just that, or are you like committed to just going, going at it on your own, like long-term, very long-term? Uh, so I mean, that's a great question. And that goes back to like, uh, I'm sure there's a few guys that are still around from the 15 years ago when we started this whole thing. I am. So that, that works out, but, uh, yeah, everything's always on the table. I mean, this is a business first and foremost. Um, I have, I have, uh, you know, friends here I've worked with for a long time, but, but they also understand this is, you know, has value in pieces too. So whether it's uh, divestment or strategic alignment or, you know, taking two parts and making it one uh, external company or technology with, I mean, we look at everything and consider all the options. And I think that's, you know, what we've been doing over the last few months. Um, that's, that's where we want to be is here's our plan. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be changes to that over time, but we want to get to the point where, you know, hey, look, there's there's an actionable plan. And this is our goal is to create as much value as quickly as possible. I mean, when I started it, my goal was to sell the whole thing as soon as possible. But, you know, it's it's now the Iowa story. If you build it, they will come. And I'm yeah. an Iowa boy. So <laughs> we're going to have to we're going to have to make them, uh, you know, really want to pay a lot of money for it before oh, they uh, they get a like of that. It. So follow up, <laughs> follow up to Dan's question. And you probably can't answer this, but. Uh, any interest from the big dogs in pharma? Has anybody uh, come forward and asked about your assets and inquired about purchasing? Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I can't really answer that. It would all <laughs> confidentiality, and I, I get in serious <laughs> trouble with my lawyers and those companies. So, um, you know, I, I will say that just, just off the cuff and informally, you know, over the 15 years, yeah, we've had offers to purchase the company. But uh, depending on what the situation was, we, of course, we're here now. So uh, we've said no. Hmm. Um, and we've always been right on the other side of that. It was just low yeah. ball offers or just not the right timing. And you know how that works. Well, um, you mentioned one company that I'm fairly familiar with, Neurocrine. They, they went through the same process in which they had many low ball offers and turned them down. And still some offers today, to my understanding, still turning them down. So yeah. You want to well, be right there with them, I assume. Yeah. The, the nice thing for everybody, but a, a select few of us is that uh, you can buy and sell shares as you see fit. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always great to have that exit and, and that great um, positivity. But, uh, you know, in this particular case, Neurocrin is a great example. Right. It went from what uh, a billion dollar company to nine, ten billion dollars in five, six years. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just. There's just a lot of examples now where, hey, Big Pharma has abandoned CNS um, and, you know, other companies and, and why not Chem Farm can step in the shoes and say there's still unmet need. There's still people desperately in need of better treatments for depression, Alzheimer's, idiopathic hypersomnia, you know, all these different uh, unmet needs. And uh, I, I think there's no reason why we can't be in that position. Yeah, neurocrine is a great. I'm glad you guys both brought that up. That's a great case study for the KMPH hardcore nerds that are out there. I know all you nerds, KMPH nerds, you may not know about neurocrine. You need to go study neurocrine because Travis brought it up. Maybe that's the the roadmap in that vein. 
is Camp Farm considering taking on full commercialization of products in the future, or is the current model going to remain the same uh, as with Astaris? Uh, we are considering it. Um, as you look at things like uh, SUD and idiopathic hypersomnia, <clears throat> there's no reason why you couldn't field a small sales force and keep 100% of the revenue, right? Why share this with somebody else and you know, put your fate in their hands. It's a great way if there's expertise or if it's a really big market like ADHD, but these small targeted markets, it makes a lot of sense. Now, we haven't made that decision officially. We don't have a commercial team, so we have to get there, but you know, it, it does make a lot of logical sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, thank oh, you for answering this question. About the commercialization. Yeah, Monica, go ahead. Ask, ask, uh, ask away. No, that that was my my next question about the commercialization of the medication. If they if they uh, uh, mm. go in that road that they uh, commercialize their own uh, drug, obviously uh, that's yeah a very important point. <laughs> I have a per- we're wrapping up. Thank you, Travis, for answering these tough, somewhat tough questions. We try to make it easy, easier. <laughs> um, we've been. Unrelated to KMPH, believe it or not, we were, Chris, myself, Dr. Al, we were looking at equestive therapeutics. Like, mm-hmm. but we did a few videos. I think we even had the CEO on. I can't remember. Um, I have to look back and see. But I was surprised to find there's like a history <laughs> between KMP. I mean, they're getting like 10% royalty. Like, what's going on with that? Is that like something that is just going to maintain itself or are you guys thinking of doing something about that? And then can you just share like a minute of like why that even occurred? Yeah, sure. Uh, Actually, this goes way back to the genesis of Kim farm uh, when Equestive was actually Monosol RX. So they were, you know, different name, kind of a similar uh, business model at that point, making these thin strips, thin films, uh, for rapid dissolving oral delivery. Um, when, when we th- had our first candidate, it was in also an ADHD candidate, kind of a highly water-soluble form of Vyvanse, new pro drug. Um, and we approached them and said, we want to put this in a film. We think this would be a great approach. So we worked together. We developed, we got into an agreement where we co-developed this. Uh, and, you know, we eventually wanted to include SDX in that. We wanted, you know, a methylphenidate. So, you know, there was a lot of work and tech transfer that went in. They earned a royalty on, you know, any of that ADHD work. Uh, we sold the first one off to, to Shire. Um, so, you know, that, that one, they got a percent of, of that as well. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's something that's in place. Now, as far as like deciding whether or not we're going to buy the royalty, it's kind of up to both Equestive and Kim Farm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're interested. We'll have to ask. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot going on too. I mean, we <laughs> I was just surprised like, okay, I've been covering this company and I see that they have a history. That's kind of cool. Yeah, every everybody knows everybody, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a small world in the pharmaceutical yeah. space and uh they're a good company, good group of guys. I know Keith Kendall well, um the CEO. So, um yeah, if if just you if, Keith, if you want to if you want to talk, just give me a call. Keith, Keith, come on, come on, give us a call. On, Let's buddy. do a group Zoom, a group podcast. That would drive stock to its crazy. Um, Monica, anything else? I see you want to ask something. 
Yeah. It was reading her body language. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, how yeah. do you guys do so good at social media? How are you guys so good? Like, this is amazing. I don't know. What is it about it? Like, I don't understand. I, you know, I, I, I wonder. I mean, we have, you know, kind of the standard resources that I think everybody else does, right? Uh, you know, yeah. external party helps us out with managing stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good story though, right? At the base, you know, we have this partnership that's going to be generating revenue. We have a de-risk approach to drug development, and we can keep doing this over and over and over again. And a team who has done that, so it's it's always been a story that resonated with a lot of people. And then, kind of once you you get into it, I, I think you know folks kind of root for us to do well. And so, you know, that's what I believe. I you know I don't the truth could be something <laughs> completely different. Yeah. Um, a lot of faith in my team and and the, and the technology, and I hope that's you know part of that uh, story. Okay, well, I I'm guess a big fan. <laughs> yeah, we're all big fans. So I thank you for answering these <laughs> these tough questions. Yeah. Final question, okay? I promise. I have one more. <laughs> all right, so more. two more. So you go yours first. Well, so this one you may want to cut out. I don't know, but it, no, no, just because I. I, I don't understand how this works. So it's back to a previous question I had asked in regards to stock. Um, so I assume with your initial public offering, um, just for an example, hypothetical, you release 10 million shares and say that's 20% of the value of the company. I assume something like that, right? With the SEC. Is that correct? Something along those lines. And But when you when you release more shares... Is it the same exact numbers, another 10 million for 20%? Or can you change that? Can you say we're going to release 10 million shares, but now this is only worth 5% of the company, yet it's at the same price point as what the current market's dictating? Uh, as far as that goes, it would have to be in the context of a fundraise. So if we sold you know, so many shares like we have in the past, um, you know, whatever, whatever percentage that represents. So we'll use your, your 5 million shares versus, you know, the 5% of the company, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the stock price at the, at the time and, and multiplied by the 5 million shares. That's how much money you can raise. So say it's $8 times five bucks or 5 million, and you're raising $40 million to the company. Right. Now you're giving those institutional investors and, and other investors, you know, the, the shares directly, right? They didn't have to go to the market and buy them. And you're getting the money directly instead of like the transaction happening without your involvement. So using that to, to create more value, uh, supposedly in most cases, I hope. Um, but in this particular instance, you know, we're not, we're not raising any money. We're not, we're not out mm. there looking for any, um, we only use it in the context of what I discussed, which is if there's something very attractive external to ChemFarm, as far as an asset or a company, that's when you want to implement something like that. Either you raise the money to purchase or use some of those shares to, to acquire. And we're not talking about like anything of any size, right? We're, we're looking at small opportunities. We're looking at developing our own candidates with our own capital. So um, hopefully that, that helps clarify a little bit. Uh, one one last follow-up question to that. So I assume you have to have clearance or at least a filing with the SEC every time you sell more shares, right? Yes, we and we filed what's known as a, a, a S3 in June, which authorized a certain lump of shares. Now, if you actually have an offering, you have to file additional documents. So 
um, within that, you have to say exactly how many shares are going to be transacted. Uh, and all of that is, is made public almost immediately, but has to okay. be done very quickly after that, after you want to do that. Um, okay. All right. I appreciate right. the answer. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, and, no I, and I promise last question. Okay, Travis, if you have a crystal ball and you're looking at the end of 2022, where do you see <laughs> KMPH? Where do you want to see it? And then where do you think it's actually going to be at? As, as far as sales for Astaris, as far as SDX pipeline, what do you think is possible? Uh what do I think? That's that's a loaded question. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I can't answer that either way without either getting in real trouble with the shareholders or the SEC. Um, no, rock in a hard place. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I mean, the way I would like to see it, of course, is a full pipeline of opportunities with milestones that are achievable. And so, you know, folks are getting real news in, say, you know, once or twice a quarter where a study has started, a study is finished, you know, we have a pipeline that uh, folks are uh, see a lot of value in, which is creating value in the market cap, share price, everything, you know, it's just a consequence of that. Um, do I think that's very possible? Absolutely. That's my, that's my goal. Number one, two, three, four. Now the rest of it, as star as sales, that's core. That, unfortunately I had, I had to sell those rights to core him. Uh, to get this great license and this great partnership. So in, in that particular instance, you know, here we have an opportunity to work with them and help them. Um, and I think it's going to be a great product. There's a lot of difficulties out there. So, you know, do I, do I see that being, you know, a multi-billion billion dollar product eventually? Yeah, it's very possible. But, you mm -hmm. know, will it happen at the end of 22? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's kind of TBD, right? We got to figure that out and we'll, we'll watch and monitor Rome wasn't Rome wasn't built in a day, but you have some magic going on with KMPH with the community. I think the community, for the most part, like eighty percent of the comments got your back. So you've <laughs> got something good. that I would say ninety nine percent of biotechs don't have, which is like this kind of social community, which is becoming increasingly important. So, any final message for them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I greatly appreciate that community. I, you know, I, I've been in those shoes. I've been on the other side. Everybody wants more information. We pass along everything we possibly can. I don't, we don't keep anything more than a few minutes, really. Um, if it's anything uh, of use to, to, to shareholders and potential shareholders. And I, you know, I appreciate their patience too. And we, we, we came through what is just like miraculous that we still exist just with the debt we had and the financial restructure we had to do last year, get relisted. Um, it's all been taken care of. So it's all upside from here. And I'm just, I'm just so pleased to have the support of everybody, uh, you know, that, that is following and Hey, we're, we're going to take this much further. Excellent. Thank you so much for answering all the questions. Keep coming back like once a quarter, you got to yeah. do your quarterly earnings and all that, but this Let's make it like an informal, just get to know the CEO kind of thing yep. every, every quarter. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I really appreciate you guys do a good job, you know, moderating the questions. I know a lot of them are hard to kind of piece together and get, get out what you know it can be answered, <laughs> get the information that people want to hear. 
Hey, they're interested, so that's good. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's yeah. good. We're YouTubers. We'll take good and bad comments. Helps the algorithm. Stock price, no different. We just want interest <laughs> in it. So we appreciate it. Appreciate it, Travis, Monica, Chris. Thank you guys very much. And stay tuned to my reaction video on my channel for this. I'll do highlights for the newbies. Get you guys interested. You know, get some new people going down the rabbit hole of KMPH. But this one was special for all you nerds out there. So thank you very much. Bye bye.